God is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Okay, so the Apostle Paul gives us a little list of what happens when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. Think of it like a window is opening and light is able to come in. In fact, I want you to go ahead and write that down. That's the title of this sermon, Enlightened. Write that down, Enlightened. And you guys know that I like to give a sermon in a sentence, so let me go ahead and give that to you as well. If you will open up, God will enter in. I know that's simple. I even felt kind of dumb just making it that simple, but that's the core of what I want to tell you tonight. If you will open up, if you will open up, God will enter in. Okay, we're going to look at that part again, open the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my understanding. But go ahead and go back to verse 15 because the Apostle Paul tells us what he hopes will come in when our hearts are opened. Okay, so look at verse 15. Paul says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you, in my prayers. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What is it that he is wanting to come in to our hearts once they are opened? And I, I believe he tells us right there. He says, I pray that the Lord will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. He goes on to say, in the knowledge of him, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But let's look really quick at revelation. Rather than starting with wisdom, we're going to start with revelation. Why would Paul pray that God would give his sons and daughters a spirit of revelation? How does revelation help us possess the hope of our calling, the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints, and then the surpassing greatness of the power towards us who believe? If you were here um, the first week of the year, I gave a sermon called Called Out. That was what, that was what it was called, Called Out. And by now you guys know that that was more than just a sermon. It was a word that we felt like God was giving to Soma Church for 2017, that he was calling out his church right out from under the bushel that we would be the light to the world that he's called us to be that he was calling out the members of his church to step out in their giftings to get to get out and be a part of helping the light become what it needs to be to the nations to our cities to our neighborhoods but I also said that that called out word is God calling out the sin in his church and that I really believe at least for Soma and I kind of have a a feeling um, across the globe He's calling out his church, the members of his church, and the sin in his church, and primarily because I believe he's, he's close to coming back for his bride and he's wanting to get us ready. Amen? In that sermon, you might remember that we talked about Revelation, that first sermon of the year. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. And you might remember that Peter had proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to um, declare the hope of the calling of his church, right? 
I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then he declares the hope of the calling of one of his members, Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And I told you how Peter goes on to really preach the sermon that establishes the New Testament church. And both of those were prophetic declarations that were birthed out of the revelation that Peter got from, as it says, my father who is in heaven. Okay, then you look at what Paul says here in verse 17, Ephesians 1:17. He says, I pray that the father of glory, very, very key there, that the father of glory might give you wisdom and revelation. Remember, I told you that revelation leads you to believe that Jesus is the owner of the future and the one who ordains the future for the church and for the individuals who make up the church. So you want to know how to um, fulfill the hope of his calling in your life? Well, that's something that can only be revealed from God the Father. Revelation is huge. It's important. And you guys might remember too that I also mentioned how easy it is and how quickly we can forget the revelation that we've received about Jesus. Think about the day that we were saved and how excited we were maybe for a season or that time we we reconnected with God in a powerful moment and we made some declarations that we're going to follow him again. And all of us know this feeling of how we can kind of forget that revelation. Think back to what it was that made you connect with God the first time. And then maybe somewhere along the way, you kind of wondered, kind of strayed, kind of, you know, wavered a little bit. What was it that brought you back? You know, we call that um, being rededicated. You guys know what I'm talking about? What was it? Because wasn't it somehow revelation? Maybe it was a revelation of something that was missing in your life. Maybe it was that re-revelation that, whoa, those who don't belong to God, those who aren't following him, there's, a, there's, there's a consequences for that. Some sort of revelation or reminder. And I talked to you guys about um, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where it says, where there is no vision, the people will perish. Everybody knows that verse, where there's no vision, the people will perish. And I told you how there's another translation that says, where there's no revelation, Where there's no revelation for a believer or in the body of Christ, for the church, where there's no revelation, it says that people will cast off restraints. In other words, they they will have no borders, no boundaries to keep them focused, to keep them in line. So not not only does revelation reveal to us, again, the hope of our calling, the riches of his glory, uh, and his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. I'm going to refer to Paul's little list there multiple times tonight, so get used to it. Not only does revelation reveal to us, listen, it also keeps us in line. Revelation keeps us hemmed in. You guys might be familiar with one, uh, with Psalm 139, where he knew us before we were born. And, and, and all that it goes on to say that you keep me close, that you hem me in. That's what revelation does. What do you think it is that keeps us hemmed in close to him? Our own will and power and, and willpower and strength. And it, no, it's the revelation. There's something that God's doing in our heart that keeps us close, keeps us hemmed in. And that's an important aspect of what revelation is. I was thinking this week, I don't know why this picture came into my mind and it may not make sense, but if it doesn't, at least humor me for a second. I was thinking about how, um, how a baby crib functions. How many of you know how a baby crib functions? 
everybody in the house, raise their hand. Think about how when you first have to use the baby crib, your baby is a newborn or close to it, and you put it in there, and you keep that little gate or that little, um, what do you call that? The gate, the little rail. You keep it down in its lower setting. Why? Because the baby ain't going nowhere, right? And you keep it down low, so when you go bend over and you rub its back or you go to pick it up and do whatever you can do, it's easy to bend over. You're not busting your chest on the, you guys know what I'm talking about? You keep it at its lowest setting. But then somewhere down the road, that baby grows. Let's say that it matures, and it starts sitting up. Maybe it's five, six, seven months old. And now, if you leave it on that setting, what's going to happen? That baby might fumble over and fall out on the floor. So what do we do? We raise it to that middle setting, right? To where we can still kind of get over it easily and grab the baby out. But it can't get out. But then at some point, babies get to a point where they become toddlers. And now they can pull up to a couch and they can do that whole thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? They go around the coffee table and, and they're just loving it and we're loving it and we don't know what awakes us. <laughs> we're, we're laughing and we're, but what we don't realize is that, oh my gosh, it's about to get out of control. But anyway, as it relates to the crib, what do we have to do? We can't leave it at that middle setting anymore, can we? No, we have to raise it all the way to the top so that that's as far as that toddler can go because it's matured, it's grown, it's time for that bar to be raised, right? I was thinking about, um, I have a, a very specific memory of my oldest son, Aiden, when we found out it was time to remove him from his, from his crib. Melissa and I were living in this little two-story house in Lindale, and uh, it was probably, I don't know, two o'clock, maybe three o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden we heard, boom! Before Melissa could even sit up, I was down the stairs at the door. I don't even know how I got down those. It was probably like snowboarding, sledding or something. And I looked, and, and by that time, Aiden had gotten to the little door, um, the little thing you have in the door, and he was just sitting there. <laughs> well, he had crawled out. I mean, he was, he was probably not much older than a year old, you know, right about that age. And he fell out, and from that point on, we had to um, put him in his bed. And so... Um, I'll never forget that because it was a nightmare hearing him fall out. We didn't know what happened. We thought maybe somebody took him. You know, it's funny though, is you hear that noise on your second and your third, your fourth kid and you just go, you all right? You know, (laughs) are you bleeding? You know, not nearly as concerned. But think about our spiritual growth, because that's what we talk about. Last year, the word, of, word for the, um, our church was going further and deeper with the Lord, and it's all about maturing. It's all about growing in Christ. And when you think about even that analogy and, and revelation and what it brings in the light of our spiritual growth, God is constantly having to raise the bar in our lives. He's constantly having to adjust, and he does that by revealing more of himself to us. Tony, it's, it's time for me to show you this about me. Or it's time for you to learn this about yourself as it relates to your relationship with me. Is, is everybody, can y'all get that? Can y'all grab that? He raises the bar. He lifts up the baby gate, you know? Aren't you glad that we don't stay babies in Christ? Paul even talks about that. When you were a baby, you, all I give you was milk. But it's time for you to have meat. When I, was a, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. I acted like a child. But when I came, became a man, I put the foolish things behind me. God is always raising the bar and saying, a little less foolish, Tony. And he says that to me probably more than, you know, most. Anyway. A 
I told you about another translation that says where there is no prophetic voice. That's an old Latin translation. Where there's no prophetic voice, the sheep will scatter. And that's a whole nother picture. A sheep that is far from the shepherd. A sheep that doesn't have his eyes open. A sheep that's not hearing from the Lord because he's not close to him. He's not hemmed in, not kept close. will end up over a cliff. Isn't that true? Remember when we talked about that in our Psalm 23 series? And I cannot imagine that that is God's hope of calling for anyone that follows him, that we end up over a cliff. Paul also prays that God would give them wisdom. And I I don't want to spend too much time on this. I wish I could spend more time on it. But let me just say, I believe that the reason he would say I'm praying for wisdom too is so that people would have the wisdom to seek revelation. It's, it's wise to want revelation. It's wise to pray for Lord, uh, revelation. Lord, would you, well, even that prayer, would you open the eyes of my heart? Would you show me? Would you reveal yourself to me? Would you, would you um, give me a greater glimpse of you? Remember how Moses said it. Would you show me your glory? Proverbs 3 verse 13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, the gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver And her profit better than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. Why? Because it it opens our heart for revelation. We're asking God, show me. And that's going to keep us from a cliff. In her left hand are riches and honors. Her ways, wisdom ways, are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. Proverbs 4 says, don't forsake her. Don't forsake wisdom. And then Ephesians 5, we'll get there. But it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise. Okay, so again, Paul says that the the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would be enlightened, that you would get it, that you would see the light, that they would be able to hear God's voice, whatever God might reveal, and whenever he might reveal it. God wants to pour into our heart. Can you get that picture? Look at it that, this way. God wants to pour stuff into our hearts. And Paul says, I hope that your eyes, the eyes of your heart will be open in order to receive it. More and more and more, he's wanting to pour in who he is and what he has for us so that, again, there's the list. We would know the hope of his calling that we would know the riches of his glory in his inheritance in the saints and that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. And listen, if you will open up, if you will open up, God will pour those things into you. He will fill our hearts and we will see this little list that Paul gives here increase in our lives. So real quick, I want you to look at verse 19. And look what it says. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might. When he says these, he's talking about that, that list of three things that he just said that he wants our eyes to be opened for. These three things, the hope of his calling, riches of his glory, surpassing greatness, are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, Verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Look at verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under, in subjection under his feet, and he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so this section, let me just tell you what I think is going on. If you notice, he said, he mentions, uh, he says, in the strength of his mind, and I'm going to bring attention. I'm not going to expound on that because I actually just did a sermon called In the Strength of His Might. You can go back and listen to it. It's like six or seven weeks ago. And I talked about the difference in Ephesians 6. So we'll actually look at it again at some point where he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I talked about how being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might aren't the same thing. Because I can be strong in the Lord. Boy, I go to church, I go to Sunday school, and I got all those scriptures memorized, but not be looking any more like Christ than the man in the moon. That's a Texas idiom. You get it. Unless I'm walking in the strength of his might. And Paul makes mention of that. In the strength of his might. Okay, you can go back and listen to that. He also mentions Christ's resurrection. Did you notice that? And then he also talks about, he emphasizes Christ's authority. Okay, you can go back and look at it. And then finally, he affirms that Christ's church is the fullness of, of him. In other words, we carry that power and that authority. And I thought, what? Remember, these are all declarations, but why is he declaring that right now? And I thought about it this week, and maybe he's got other things in mind, but I thought, what Paul is saying is, if the eyes of your heart are ever closed, it's not because of something that Christ has not provided. Because the authority's there, the power's there, the dominion is there. The resurrection power is there. The strength of his might is available. He says all of these are work in accordance with the strength of his might. And so if the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding, if we are not being enlightened, it's not because of anything that he is lacking. The eyes of the hearts of a lot of believers are closed. The eyes of the hearts of a lot of believers are just, they're just simply closed. I'm not saying that they're not saved. I'm not saying that they're not going to go to heaven. You look back in verse 13, 113, and it says, in him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so I'm not saying they're not saved, but what I'm talking about is their eyes are not opened. They're, they're, they're just closed for whatever reason. God's not getting through. God's got revelation ready and available, but it's just, it's just not getting through. And some of us know how that feels. We, we've been there. And we, we're going through the motions. We're in a service or we're in our prayer closet or we're in or whatever, but we're there and it's just not getting through. Like it's just like there's just something. It's just a stall out in our faith. How many of you have ever felt stalled out in your faith? We all have. So I was thinking about this week and I thought, okay. I've been stalled out plenty of times in my faith. I came to faith in Jesus when I was 19 years old. That's a long time ago. I'm 42 now. I know that a lot of you guys thought I was probably like 30, 32. I'm 42. So just set that straight. And how many of you know that it can be like this sometimes? The ups and downs of how we relate to the Lord and how we at least feel like the Lord relates to us. Can I tell you that here's the way God is relating to us 
And Paul talks about it in another place in Ephesians. He's always growing us up into the stature of maturity in Christ. That's what he's always doing. He's always ready, hands on the rail, ready to lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. So if, if we are not um, growing, if we're not going further, deeper, and maturing, if we're not hearing from him, you know, everything, it's not on him, it's on us. And I got to thinking this week, and there's probably all kinds of things, but I'm going to give you three because I'm a preacher. I'm going to give you three things that I think keep the eyes of our hearts closed. And I want you to listen very carefully because this will resemble one way or the other, everybody in the room. You will connect to at least one, maybe all three. And the first one is simply a lack of desire. Why would the eyes of our hearts be closed? Why would we not be receiving revelation? Remember, Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you would receive those goodies on that list. One of the reasons that wouldn't be taking place is that that's just not on our mind. It's not our desire. You can write it that way, a lack of desire. There's a place in Job, and you'd have to go back and read it in in context. But literally it says, "They uh, they say to God, there's a group of people that say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. I think it's sad but true that there are people that sit in the pews, that sit in the seats inside church buildings where that is actually the condition of their heart. Isn't that wild? You would never think of it. But it's true, a lack of desire. I just, it's just not what I desire. It's not what I want in life right now. How many of you have ever heard that? You've, you've talked to maybe someone, maybe tried to witness to them and, and try to encourage them in their faith or, or to go further with God and all that stuff. But they've literally said, that's just not where I'm at in life right now. I'm always like, are you kidding me? You know, it's like, you just, you can't do it, but you want to punch them. It's like, let me turn on the lights for you. You know what I mean? Like, how do you say that? I'm, that's just not my place in life. Well, what if Jesus one day said, you know, I know God's calling me. I know my Father in heaven is calling me to the cross. I know it's my time. The fullness of time is here. But that's just not where I'm at in life. I've really got started on my carpentry career. You know what I'm saying? I was just getting used to this walking around healing everybody thing. Why would I, why would I want to digress into going to the cross? But all of us who know the truth and have understood the revelation know that it was not a digression to go to the cross, was it? Was it? No, that was what moved all of eternity and the reconciliation of sinful man back to a holy God forward. Isn't that true? We can't say this. It's not where I'm at in life. Listen, again, you know, back to that Proverbs 3 I was talking about wisdom while I go. She is more precious than jewels. Wisdom is more precious than jewels. We need wisdom. Wisdom says go for revelation. Wisdom says go for God. It says nothing you desire. Listen, nothing you desire compares to her. Our desire should be to have the wisdom to see that if he will reveal himself to us, we will be propelled forward in our faith. To not desire to be going further in our faith, it does not make sense. And you have to question the verse 13 thing about whether or not you really have received the gospel of salvation. Isn't that true? At some point, you've got to make the, 
you got to make the reality here. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 10, verse 17 says, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. You have heard the desire of the humble. If you've been at a place where it hasn't been a desire, can I tell you that, that right in the thick of that is pride. Pride. It may be some interesting form of pride, but it's pride. But here he says that the humble, you've heard the desire of the humble. Listen, the desire of the humble. My, my, I don't even know what to say right here other than my desire would be that everyone had a desire to grow in Christ. Amen. To move past, well, that's not where I'm at in my life. You need to make it a priority or you're not going to like where you end up in life. I promise you. Some of you could raise a white hanky on that one. Preach it, brother. You know? <laughs> the second thing that I think keeps the eyes of our heart closed, and I want you to hear me, is the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. If you look back in this section, you will notice that just before that, before he enters into this um, um, I pray for you thing, he talks about the Holy Spirit and the the seal on salvation and all that. And then he even says that I pray that that you will receive a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And and really there's a promotion of the spirit here. And and can I tell you that, um, that without the work of the spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit, you're not going anywhere. There's not going to be any revelation. And the reason why the Spirit wouldn't work in the life of a believer is because it's getting canceled out by the flesh. That's what Scripture tells us. What Paul says is in Galatians, he tells us that in Romans 8. I mean, he talks about it quite a bit. You're like, well, how could anything cancel out the powerful work of the Holy Spirit? The works of the flesh can. They're constantly at battle. Constantly at battle. Let me just read you a couple of Scriptures. Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh... Uh, on what the flesh desires. I won't go there. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. They're two separate deals. Galatians 6, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And then he goes, a little before that, he says, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we are walking, living according to the flesh, is the way that he says it in another place. When we are living according to the flesh, that is canceling out any kind of desires and really even ability to live by the Spirit. When we are making that choice, to live according to the flesh, I thought about when I was a youth pastor. Melissa and I were youth pastors, and we had a bunch of kids, dozens and dozens and dozens. So we got to see a lot of teenagers and, and interact with them, and we were very involved, and we you know, walked alongside of them. And every now and then you'd see a kid, it's like, man, what's going on with him? Or what's going on with her? They're just kind of plummeting in their expression of goodness and godliness. You guys hear what I'm saying? And without fail, because I would visit the schools every week. I'd go to the junior high once a week, hang out with kids, have lunch. And I would go to the high school once a week, hang out with the kids, have lunch. Without fail, in that season of funk, they had stopped sitting with 
the kids in their youth group were other Christian kids. They were sitting with kids that they shouldn't have been. And it was canceling out the work. They were choosing to put themselves with this crowd. And I'm not saying they, you know, it'd be different if they were there and they were trying to minister. No, but they're acting just as foolish, just as silly, and saying just as awful things as they were. And, and again, maybe it's a weird example, but that's something that they, that they chose. They chose to put themselves, you guys know the scripture, bad company corrupts good morals. So they put themselves there. When we choose the works of the flesh, when I say works of the flesh, I mean, I could, oh my gosh, I could go all day. There's one place where Paul says, these are the works of the flesh. <laughs> and he, he's like, immorality and lying. He goes through this whole thing, what we would call big, bad sins. But there's a few that we wouldn't consider big and bad, but they're also considered deeds of the flesh. And when we are on purpose living according to those, it is canceling out the work of the Spirit. And guess what immediately happens? Our eyes become closed. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but if you go back and read some of the story of Eli and Samuel and what happened towards the end of Eli's life, it says that his eyes became dim. And if you really study it out, the reason is is because he didn't deal with the sin of his sons who were doing evil things as, as the priesthood. It says that Eli's eyes grew dim. If you want the eyes of your heart to be opened, you got to live according to the Spirit. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it's one thing to choose to sit with the unchristian kids or the lost kids and to choose to sit with the Christian kids. It's the same thing. I'm choosing today the Spirit versus choosing this. You hear what I'm saying? The third thing is, and I just said a shortage of bread. So you can write that down. A shortage of bread. A shortage of bread will keep the eyes of your heart closed. Because remember what he said, I pray that the Lord would give you all, um, the Lord would, would give you um, a spirit of wisdom and of relation, uh, relation, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, where do, we, where do we get knowledge of Jesus Christ? We get it from the word of God, right? Do you guys remember when Jesus was out in the desert? He was just about to step into the hope of his calling, right? He had just been baptized by John, and it says that he was led by the Spirit, by the way, out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Most of us know this story. If you don't, go find it. It's, it's really cool. And the devil tempted him three different times. And if you notice, if you take note, he was tempting Jesus' flesh. And one of the times he said, you're probably hungry, aren't you? And Jesus was like, boy, I'm hungry, you know. He said, well, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And Jesus could have. He could have went whoop, whoop and had some French bread right there. He could even butter it up and get some jelly on there. If he wanted to, but here's his response. He knew what was on the line was the hope of his calling. He could have, he could have ruined it all right there. And if he had given up on the hope of his calling, all of us would be in a different place. So he focused. The eyes of his heart were open. And he said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. And he's talking about the word. For us, 
One of the things that keeps our eyes from being opened is a lack of the word of God in our life. Now, I said, I said, how did I say it? I said a shortage of bread. Let me clarify. There is not a shortage of bread in the word. There is a shortage of bread in our heart. And when there's a shortage of bread in our heart, our eyes, the eyes of our heart, are more prone to be dim and closed. Going back to Eli, that's why his eyes closed. He didn't deal. He knew what they were doing. He knew the word of the Lord, but he didn't address it. In fact, he ignored it. Most of us know more of the word than we do. That applies as well. James says, don't be merely hearers of the word or memorizers of the word or even preachers of the word. You got to do the word. So that applies. It's not just having the word, knowing the word. It's doing the word. When there is a shortage of knowing and doing the word in your life, it, it, it inhibits revelation from coming. Why? Because the eyes of your heart are not open. You guys hear me? We quote this almost every week. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. In other words, your word is light and I am able to see it. Why? Because my eyes are open. And a light unto my path. I'm not going to fall off a cliff like a dumb sheep. Why? Because you are illuminating my path. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now this is in the Psalms. And so when he's, he's, he's referring to the law, he's referring to the law of Moses. For us, that's not what we're referring to, though we haven't left it behind or forsaken it. But we know that we're talking about Jesus So you could read it this way. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in Christ Jesus. If you remember last week, I told you that there are many scholars that believe that in, I-N, might be the most important word in the New Testament. Because of the phrase and the idea of being in Christ. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, wondrous things in Christ. Let's, let's stand together. I'm going to say one more thing, and this is kind of a side note that I thought about just before service. Remember what we said, if you will open up, God will enter in. If you will open up, God will enter in. Now we're, we're talking about he will come in with revelation, right? And reveal more of himself to you. But I want to give a little side, a side dish. We're talking about food. Let me give you a side dish, okay? If you will open up, there are those, most likely in this room, I'm not pointing out or I don't have anyone in particular in mind. This is just something that came to me, that are closed off to people. And there's probably a myriad of reasons why hurt being rejected. We talked about that last week. You should go back and listen to that. Um, betrayed. I mean, there's just lists of why we are closed off to people. But can I tell you that one of the greatest ways that God reveals himself to the saints is through other 
saints. When you have in mind that it's just going to be me and God, and if he wants to speak to me, he'll speak to me. I'm going to lock myself in a closet and rock back and forth until he speaks to me. Can I tell you that's not a biblical concept? The new covenant was meant to be lived and operated and worked out with other people. That's why he says a new command I give to you, that you love one another. It's no longer about how you relate and live up to the law. It's how you fulfill that law in your relationships with others. Because you're all part of one body. You're all together in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you are someone that is closed off to relationships, like, like there's just nobody that can get in, or you're somebody that wouldn't go to a small group, or you're someone that wouldn't have a, a coffee meeting with someone else. I know people that won't sit down and have coffee with someone else because ultimately they're afraid. They're afraid to get hurt again. Can I really be honest? Are they just going to backbite? Are they just going to betray me like so-and-so did? It's understandable, but, but Christ has ministered to that, right? He's ministered to those places. We've been called out of darkness, even the dark things that were done to us, into his marvelous light. The question is, is our, are the eyes of, our, eyes of our hearts opened to where we can see? Amen? If you're a closed-off person, I want to encourage you to press into the Lord a little differently. Use wisdom and ask God to reveal himself and in in all that he is. Go back through Ephesians 1, the whole chapter. Read all those things that he declared to the reader to the Ephesian church, to us, and let him minister to your heart. I thought it would be only appropriate if we ended tonight by singing Open the Eyes of My Heart. Would that be weird? So let's just close our eyes. I'll I'll try to lead that. Just close your eyes. and I, I really pray that while we're singing this, the Lord does something amazing in the saints tonight. Thank you, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to. And since that's the scripture we were studying, let's sing that again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It can be our prayer for ourselves and for those in this room that might be closed off. We're praying this, we're declaring it, we're singing and worshiping with it. Again, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. To see you shining in the light. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. 
You are high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy. Now let's just sing that together as the saints. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy. Try to push everything else out. Sing that out. Holy, holy, holy. I want to sing that again. Holy. Paul Belash, he was mentioning that, that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? And the train of his robe filled the temple. And we read in Revelations that they were singing this around that throne that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up on. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. One more time. Holy, 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 holy. Thank you, Lord.